Well, good morning, everyone. It is good to see you, and it's good to be here with you. I was out on vacation and was out the last two Sundays, and I missed worshiping the Lord with you together. So I'm excited and glad that I get to preach to you and for you today from the Word of God. As Nathan said, I'm preaching from several different passages, actually four different chapters in the book of Exodus. I'm going to be preaching from Exodus 31, section of that, 35, 36, and 38. It's over 50 verses, three sections in four, in, within four chapters, and yet they all have the same general focus on serving. But that makes sense, because that's who Christians are, and that's what Christians do. We are servants, <clears throat> and we serve. And that's because that's what Jesus did. He was the suffering servant. He came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. He took the form of a servant and became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. It's what he did and it's what he still does. He is is interceding for his people, reigning on high for the good of his people, always serving his subjects. It's also what he demands because we have been, as his people, created in Christ Jesus for good works, for service. And we are to follow in his steps. Wherever he leads, we should go. And he leads us to serve. And we serve not only because of what he did and what he does, and this is what he demands, but it's because of what he deserves. Jesus deserves for us to serve in his name. It honors him. It pleases him. It glorifies him. And yet there's a problem. In fact, there are many problems when it comes to service. Maybe for starters, while it is true that we were created to joyfully serve God for the good of others, naturally, we would much rather be served than to serve. We all feel it. There, we come to a, the end of ourselves and we are tired of acting grown up and we just want somebody else to serve us. We're selfish. And that's not only when we want to be served, but even when we do serve, we're often still selfish because we want to serve in ways that we want to serve. Doing what we want to do, when we want to do it, how we want to do it, where and with whom and for whom we want to serve. And we don't want it to cost much. And if it costs us anything, we want to be handsomely rewarded. Oh, not maybe not monetarily always, but maybe we just want immediate fruitfulness for our service. We want to see results that are clear and tangible and in great measure right away. And we want to receive praise and glory for all of our hard work. Or, or perhaps, perhaps we... We're okay with not people noticing us, acknowledging us because of our personality or whatever, but often we want to feel good about ourselves or superior to others because we have been serving in obscurity, anonymity. No one gives us the the notice that we deserve. And you know what? I'm okay with that. I'm good with that because that makes me feel good. Or maybe we can start have some self-pity because people aren't noticing us and praising us. Yes, we are servants. In Christ Jesus, we are to serve. We are servants, and yet we are also still selfish sinners. And so we need regular reminders and encouragements and exhortations and motivations to serve. And so that's what I want to do this morning. I want to give you encouraging reminders from these passages in Exodus, which I think are actually intended to stir people up, to motivate and exhort them to serve. And I want to give you these encouraging reminders from a simple kind of summary statement. 
that God enables His people to joyfully serve Him for the good of others. God enables His people to joyfully serve Him for the good of others. And I want to show you how I see this in the text by taking uh, a section at a time. The first concept is simply that God enables His people to serve. If you turn with me to Exodus chapter 31, verse 1, you'll see what I mean. Exodus 31, 1 through 6. The Lord said to Moses, See, I have called by name Bezalel, the son of Uri, son of Hur, of the tribe of Judah. And I have filled him with the Spirit of God, with ability and intelligence, with knowledge and all craftsmanship, to devise artistic designs, to work in gold, silver, and bronze, in cutting stones for setting, and in carving wood, to work in every craft. And behold, I have appointed with him Oholiab, the son of Ahissamach, of the tribe of Dan, and I have given to all able men ability, that they may make all that I have commanded you. You, you might say, well, okay, God enables His people to serve. I see that He gives them these abilities and this intelligence and skill and knowledge by the Spirit of God, but that's just Belzalel and Aholiab, these special, sacred, holy men. Not the case. Verse 6 says, And I have given to all able men ability. That is, God has created all men, and any ability they have naturally is come from Him. But here He adds to their ability, at their able men, He gives them ability. So he increases it, gives them greater than what they had before by the Spirit of God, maybe even in some respects, supernatural abilities. But in any case, we see it again in chapter 35, as Pastor Nathan read earlier. But skip on down to verse 34, Exodus 35, 34. And it's not just Bezalel and Aholiab, but God has inspired Bezalel to teach. Both him and Aholiab, the son of Ahissamach of the tribe of Dan. So they're to teach others so that they could have this skill, this knowledge, this ability. Verse 35, he has filled them with skill to do every sort of work done by an engraver or by a designer, by embroiderer in blue and purple and scarlet yarns and fine twine linen or by a weaver or by any sort of workman, any sort, all kinds of workers or skilled designer. Bezalel and Aholiab, Exodus 36.1, and every craftsman, all the craftsmen in whom the Lord has put skill. He has enabled them with intelligence to know how to do any work in the construction of the sanctuary. They shall work in accordance with all the Lord has commanded. God enables His people to serve. And yet you still may object and say, okay, but this was a special time. This is a, a unique stage in the history of, the, uh, of, the, of redemption and the people of God. This is where they're making the tabernacle for God to dwell in. But I want to give you two reasons why I think God still does this today. One is because, as I said at the very beginning of our whole series of the book of Exodus, that this book is a theological history. That is, it's not so much about Moses, and it's not so much about Israel, it's about God. It's a history of God and how He works in and through Moses and in and through His people. It's a theological history of God's work as He enables His people to work. And enables them to serve right here. So this is how, who God is and this is how He works. And He does not change. And yet so we see, I think, in the New Testament, in the, under the New Covenant, the same God. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. You can look with me in verses 4 through 6. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 12, 4, Now there are varieties of gifts. Think of abilities here. But the same Spirit. There are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them in all, empowers them all in everyone. God enables every one of His people to serve. Verse 11. 
1 Corinthians 12, 11, all these are empowered by one and the same Spirit. All the people of God are empowered by the one Spirit, even if they have different gifts, who He apportions to each one individually as He wills. Three things to note from this is that one, all gifts, all abilities, He gives to His people, special gifts. They come from God, in Christ, through the Spirit, because of His grace. These are gifts. They're, uh, they're abilities and skills, but they don't just come from within because we are so naturally wonderful. God gives them. He grants them. He works them in us by His grace. But the, he, he doesn't just give us abilities. He gives us abilities to serve. These are, we're to use them for others. In Romans twelve six, the Apostle Paul says that let us use them. If we have these gifts according to God's varied grace, let's use them. Do something with them. Serve with them. These are gifts that are empowered by God to serve, and yet they're all different. That's the third thing here, is that these are different gifts. They are differ according to God's varied grace. There are varieties of gifts, varieties of service, varieties of activities, but it's the same Spirit, the same Lord, the same God who empowers them all and everyone. So you might say, okay, I, I don't have the gift of that person or, or that guy or, or that lady. I, I can't do what they do. Maybe not but you can do what you can. God gives you an ability, you skills, you experiences, you education, you passions and desires and gifts to serve. He hasn't made a mistake because He hasn't given you a flashier gift or a a, a more desirable ability that you think you might want. In fact, if everybody had those gifts, the church would be in a world of hurt. We need to have differing gifts. Paul goes on to say in 1 Corinthians 12 that you need a hand and a foot. And neither gets to say, well, you're not like me, so you're not important. And and the eye doesn't get to say, okay, because I'm not a hand, I'm not important. Or the ear, I'm not an eye, so I'm not important. That's not how it works. Every part of the body has a function on purpose. They're all important. God says, I've given you gifts to use, even if they're different. That's the point. God enables His people to serve by giving them spiritual giftings, abilities, skills to serve. But the second main point of all of this is not only that God enables His people to serve, but that He enables His people to serve Him. God enables His people to serve Him. Look with me at Exodus 36, verse 2. Exodus chapter 36, verse 2. We read that, And Moses called Bezalel and Oholiab and every craftsman and in whose mind the Lord had put skill. Everyone whose heart stirred him up to come to do the work. That last phrase, to come to do the work, <clears throat> is not a throwaway phrase. In fact, the, the, word, the Hebrew word for to come to is a technical term. It's the Hebrew word karab. And it's used throughout Exodus, throughout, throughout the Old Testament, most often to speak of approaching or coming to, drawing near to God for divine service. It's coming to do a work for God. We find it most Recently, I think in Exodus 28, verse 1, <clears throat> where we see God says to Moses, Then bring near, or have them approach, draw near, come to you, Aaron and your, uh, your brother and his sons with him from among the people of Israel, to do what? To serve. Have them approach to serve, but to serve whom? He says, to serve me. God says, have them come approach for divine service, to serve me. We are to serve God. He enables us to serve Him. Now, serving God means serving for God. 
That, that doesn't mean serving for God's good, as though we're benefiting Him. We don't meet His needs. He has none. Rather, serving for God means we're serving with a focus on God. We're serving at His request and at His demand, and we're serving for His glory. We're serving to, not for His good, but for His glory and honor. Now, there are three ways I think that we need to see if we, at least three ways, if our service is to be for God, for His glory. Number one, if our service is to be for the glory of God, we must serve for the good of others. To serve for the glory of God means to serve for the good of others. In Exodus 31, 6 through 11, it tells us what they are being equipped, what they are being enabled to do with their service. It's to build the tabernacle, to build the Ark of the Covenant and the, and the golden lampstand and the, the table for the bread of the presence and all the furnishings and all the utensils for all the materials in the tabernacle. But the tabernacle, you see, was to serve God and yet it was for the good of the people. All the people were going to be blessed by this as God dwelt among them for their good. But today in the new covenant, God does not dwell in a building. And in one sense, he never was limited to a building. We don't need to build up a tent or a temple. We need to build up the people of God. Because God dwells in and, and together with his people. We need to build up the body of Christ. That's what we are meant to use our service of God for the service of others, His people. In 1 Corinthians 12, verse 7, where Paul says that we need have gifts to use for good, he says in verse 7, to each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. That is, if the Spirit Himself manifests or shows Himself through the gifts that He empowers and enables people to use, not just for their good, but for the common good. That is the good of the community of faith, the people of God. We should use our gifts and serve for God for their good, for the common good. But building up the body of Christ is not only for the good of the body of Christ. It's also good for the world around us. When we are stirred up, when we are educated and encouraged and comforted and strengthened and we are exhorted and rebuked and challenged as a people, then we go out from here and we serve, we give, we love, and we proclaim the gospel truth to those around us. A strengthened church is good for the world. It's actually necessary for the world. And it's also when we build up the body of Christ, it's good for the world around us when they come here to our worship gathering. And when they come to our piney families, and when they come to our discipleship groups, or just to a small group of friends hanging out from our church, and they are saying, they're seeing us serve one another, and they're benefiting from the service we've already rendered to one another, as we love them and share the gospel with them. Build up the body of Christ for the good of the body of Christ, for the good of the world and the glory of God. So we serve God, we serve for God, not only by serving for the good of others, but we also by serving as God commands. We must serve as God commands. If we're to serve God, we don't get to, to do whatever we see fit. Exodus chapter 31, verse 11. The last part says, According to all that I have commanded you, they shall do. Moses gave very clear and strict, detailed instructions about what they were to do. Exodus chapter 36, verse 1, Bezalel and Aholiab, and every craftsman in whom the Lord has put skill and intelligence to know how to do any work in the construction of the sanctuary, they shall work, that is, they shall serve, in accordance with all that the Lord has commanded. 
They didn't get to say, all right, you know what? The tabernacle probably needs to be a little bigger. You know, let's use this material in bed. I think this, uh, instead, it's a better material. You know, I don't want to make that piece of furniture. I want to make this one instead. They didn't get to do that. They must serve as God had commanded, so too for us. We don't get to serve God in ways that we see fit that are contrary to what He says in His Word. We need to serve as God commands, which I think there is a very necessary implication from this. If we are to serve as God commands, we must actually know what He commands. We must know what He commands. And what is, where do we find His commands? But in this book. Our service should be scriptural service. We need to serve according to the scriptures, according to the Bible, so we must take it up and read it. Not only as a whole, but as individuals. You are, as a, as a child of God, a servant of God. And as a servant of God, you must serve as He commands. So take up and read. And number three, if we are to serve... For God, we must not only serve for the good of others and as He commands, but we must serve with dependence on God. With dependence on God. We're not really serving God if we're just depending upon ourselves for it all. That's not how this relationship works between us and God. Exodus 31, verse 3. He says, God says, And I have filled Bezalel with the Spirit of God, with ability and intelligence, with knowledge and all craftsmanship. God says, I've given him this. In verse 6, the end says, And I have given to all able men ability, so that it's the purpose of my gifts for them, my enabling of them, is that they may make all that I have commanded you. So what if they would have said, God, I know you've given me these gifts and abilities, but I don't want to use them. I don't want to depend upon you to give me all this skill. So I'm going to go do my own things that you haven't gifted me for, that you haven't given me ability for. I'd rather depend upon myself. It doesn't glorify him. To serve with dependence upon God, I think at least means two things. One, to depend upon Him for ability. Have you ever been put in the spot where you are asked to give counsel to a friend, family member, a church member? At that moment, you feel it. Uh, I need some ability here. I need some wisdom, God. I need some courage to, to, to push back or challenge or rebuke. I need some, some, uh, a right heart of sympathy and empathy and compassion to comfort. I need, I need words that I, that I can give them to help them, to benefit them. God, would you help me? We need to depend upon God to enable us with wisdom to counsel. Or what about just to work hard for the service of others? We need energy. We need strength and protection. We need God to enable us in this. To proclaim the good news to share the gospel with others, to teach or to preach. We need God to enable us. So we need Him to give us His Word so that we're preaching only as He commands and teaching only what He says. But also to understand this, we need Him to enable us. We need Him to empower us, to give us skill and knowledge to proclaim or even just to give. We need God to give us resources that we can give to others. Resources of time, energy, money, focus, materials, whatever else. We need God to enable us in all these ways and countless more. We depend upon God to give us the ability to serve Him and others. But secondly, I think we need to depend upon God for effectiveness. We need to depend upon God for effectiveness. That is the results of our service. Our ordinary acts of service. That's often what it is, by the way. 
We think, okay, service, uh, serving the great king, almighty, that means that it's really special and important indeed. So it must be a really wonderful thing to do indeed. But it doesn't always feel that way, does it? It doesn't always look that way. Often it's very, very ordinary. But we need to depend upon God to take our ordinary acts of service and turn them into extraordinary results. That I'm just going to simply just pray for somebody and God's going to change their life. I'm going to just share some words of counsel or words of gospel truth and God will turn that person's life upside down. I'm just going to give this or help out here and God can use that to literally change the world. But not just temporarily, but for everlasting results. Oftentimes it doesn't seem this way. You know this. If you work with kids, or, or if you're a parent, or if you work in Piney Kids, or whatever else, you, you know that sometimes you pour into these kids, and you teach them, and you tell them, and you pray for them, and you serve them, and you love them over and over and over again, and often it feels like nothing's getting through. There's no change. But God says... Serve with dependence upon me to make it effective. In my time and in my ways for my purposes. Maybe your kids are grown and you're saying, I've done all that I can do and now I'm, I'm just simply praying and loving from afar and I just don't see God working there. Keep serving with dependence upon Him to make it effective in His timing and His ways for His purposes. Whatever we're serving, we need to do two things. We need to ask and then act. We need to ask God to work, to enable us and to make it effective. And then we need to act. We need to just go and do it. We need to pray and then serve, trusting that he will both enable us and make it effective. And I love First Peter chapter 4, verses 10 and 11, kind of summarize these three points of what it means to serve for God, for his glory. First Peter 4, 10 and 11 says, As each has received a gift, use it. Use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks, if you have a speaking gift, use it as one who speaks oracles of God. Submit to God's word. Do God's means and just speak what he says in his word. And if you have the gift of serving of any kind, then serve as one who serves by the strength that God supplies with dependence upon him to enable you and him to make it effective. Why? In order that in everything, God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. Because to him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. This is how and why we are to serve. But this connects to this last main point of what it means to serve. That God enables His people to serve. If we're to serve for His glory, we must also serve joyfully. God enables His people to joyfully serve Him for the good of others. Serving God out of a begrudging attitude does not please Him. It does not honor Him. It's not good for you and it's less effective for others. Serve joyfully. That's what we are to do because He enables us to serve joyfully. For the good of others. Look at Exodus chapter 36, starting at verse 2. <clears throat> I love this little section here, 2 through 7. Moses called Bezalel on a holy ab, and every craftsman in whose mind the Lord had put skill, everyone whose heart stirred him up to come to do the work. But what were they to work with? What materials? What did they have? Well, earlier in chapter 35, verse 4, Moses says, God has commanded everybody who's willing to give, if you have a generous heart to give, then give so they have something to work with. So it says in verse 3, 
these workers received from Moses all the contribution that the people of Israel had brought for doing the work on the sanctuary. They still kept bringing him free will offerings every morning so that all the craftsmen who were doing every sort of work, uh, sort of task on the sanctuary, they stopped their work. They came each from the task that he was doing and said to Moses, the people bring much more than enough for doing the work that the Lord has commanded us to do. So Moses gave command and the word was proclaimed throughout the camp. Let no man or woman do anything more for the contribution for the sanctuary. So the people were restrained from bringing they were so willing, so eager, so joyful in their, in their service of giving that they had to be restrained from giving. They were restrained from bringing for the material they were, had was sufficient to do all the work and more. That's the kind of joyful service we should bring to God. In Exodus 38, you can tabulate it up. It's roughly nearly seven tons of precious metals that they brought. Psalm 100 verse 2 says, Serve the Lord with gladness. It, it delights Him when we serve Him this way. He is pleased and honored when we serve Him with joy. After all, God loves a generous heart, doesn't He? He loves a cheerful giver. You may have noticed, though, that I, I, I didn't, I'm not just saying we should serve with joy, but I'm saying that God enables His people to serve with joy. Does that mean that God enables our Delight? He enables our desire and our joy? Yes. I think that's what the text is saying. If you turn with me to Exodus 35, starting at verse 21. Exodus 35, 21. And they came. Everyone whose heart stirred him and everyone whose spirit moved him and they brought the Lord's contribution to be used for the tent of meeting and for all its service. But notice what it said there. Everyone whose heart stirred him. It's like they're passive in it. Everyone whose spirit moved him. You have the, the him, the man, and then their heart, the heart moves the man. The spirit stirs the person. It's like they're passive. It just happens to them. You see it in verse 22, Exodus 35, 22. So they came, both men and women, all who were of a willing heart. They brought all these things as an offering to the Lord. Verse 26. All the women whose hearts stirred them to use their skill spun the goat's hair. And I love verse 29. All the men and women, the people of Israel, whose heart moved them to bring anything for the work that the Lord had commanded by Moses to be done, brought it as a free will offering to the Lord. I love this because they're doing as God commanded, but it's a free will offering. It's they're just generously out of their own heart, but I'm saying that God enabled them because their heart was moved by God. And I'm saying that God moved their heart here because one, I, I think this is what is called the divine passive. It, it's passive in the sense that it happens to them, but that God's the one doing it. And I'm saying that because I think that's the, the context of Scripture we see about God, the more immediate context of what we see in Exodus. And this language of being stirred up and moved is actually kind of rare in the Old Testament. It is found in a couple other places. One, though, is found in Ezra chapter 1. Verses 1 and 5, where we read, In the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, so that the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah might be fulfilled, the Lord stirred up the spirit of Cyrus, king of Persia. The Lord stirred him up. To do what? To write a letter that, to give freedom and ability for all the people to rebuild the house of the Lord. What are they doing in Exodus? They're building the house of the Lord. Chapter Ezra 1 verse 5 says, Then rose up the heads of the fathers' houses of Judah and Benjamin and the priests and the Levites, everyone whose spirit God had stirred up to go. 
to go up to rebuild the house of the Lord that is in Jerusalem. And then it goes on to say in verse 6 that they came and they brought offerings of gold and silver and all the materials as a free will offering. They brought it willingly. So God enabled them by giving them a, a desire. He gave them, he stirred up their spirit. He compelled them and yet it was of their own free will. Such is the mystery of the divine sovereignty and how he works in and through the human heart. God is doing this. God stirs them up. God stirs up his people to serve him joyfully. Well, that's not always super encouraging because we often lack joy, don't we? Like if God is the one who stirs us up, then why do I sometimes not desire to serve? Why am I reluctant and selfish? What do we do if we're lacking in joyful service to the Lord and our spirits aren't stirred up, our hearts aren't moved? Well, first, you need to know that it won't last long. Because either you will grow in your zeal and your joy and you will serve joyfully or you will stop serving altogether. It can't be a drag that long. You'll just give up. Or maybe worse, maybe you won't. You'll keep serving, but you'll get more and more angry and more and more bitter. And it will be not to the honor of the Lord, but to His dishonor. But either way, we must fight. We must fight to have our hearts stirred up. We must fight and strive to have our, our spirits moved to joyfully serve the Lord for the good of others. That might seem awkward, though. Why would I strive and work to have something done to me, like it's passive? I'm supposed to be active so that something happens to me? Yes. The Bible talks this way all the time. This is how often how God works. He says, do what I've told you to do, trusting me that you're putting yourself in the path of my divine mercy that I will bless you by it. So what do we do? What does it look like to fight and strive to have our hearts stirred up by God? Number one, confess. If you are not joyfully serving Him, if you are selfish and find yourself reluctant to serve and to give, then confess it as sin. God, you are worthy of all affection and I am not joyfully serving you as you deserve. Number two, pray and ask God to stir you up. Ask Him to well up within you a greater intensity of desire and delight for the good of others and the glory of His name. And number three, reflect. Reflect on what God has already done in you and through you. I said earlier that the book of Exodus is a theological history. If you wonder how it is that God stirred them up and moved their heart, I don't think He just zapped them. I don't, that's not how it works. I think they reflected on, because it was immediately right after, God had graciously been blessing them. Their own theological history, what had happened? They were in Egypt, suffering under oppression and enslavement and genocide. And God rescued them miraculously by His grace. And on the way out, He gave them gold and jewelry and precious gems by the Egyptians. And then they go out into the wilderness and God protects them and He provides for them, miraculously so again. And then He enters into this special covenant relationship with His people. And then they rebel. They create a golden calf and they bow down and worship it. God comes and threatens to destroy them in His holiness and His wrath. But Moses intercedes for them, and God in His mercy relents. But he says, all right, fine, I won't destroy them, but they're going on their own, and I'm not going with them. I won't go with them to be among them to bless them. And Moses again intercedes and says, no, God, don't send us away. Stay with us. Be our God. 
And God says to Moses, well done, Moses. Well done. I will indeed not destroy them, and I will indeed be with them. I will be their God. They will be my people, and I will settle among them for their good throughout all their generations. And great mercy, and in order for me to be amongst them as a holy God among sinners, there must be a tabernacle, and there must be these furnishings and a way for them to connect. All by grace I will bring them, even though they don't deserve it. I will bring them close and I will draw near to them. All of this happens and it ends up in chapter 34. The very next chapter we have, God says, all right, now, on the heels of that, who wants to give? Who wants to serve? And they say, I do. I do. Because of their own theological history, what God had worked in them and for them. Brothers and sisters, reflect on your own theological history. What has God done in your life? How has He protected you in your own foolishness and sinfulness? How has He provided for you and blessed you? How has He surrounded you with people to give you truth and encouragement? How has He already worked with you? Bezalel and Aholiab and all these Israelites, they were born and raised in Egypt as slaves. And God gave them ability throughout all that time, made them expert craftsmen throughout that. Even His providence in their times of suffering, God used for their good and for the good of the people. Reflect on God's mercy and in His His wisdom and His providential grace for your good and let that stir you up and move you to serve Him with joy. So you confess it, you pray for it, you reflect, and then you serve. And you don't wait to feel like it. You serve as an act of obedience and repentance and faith that He will stir you up as you serve. And often you have to look past the task you're in because maybe you don't love the task. But you look to the purpose of what you're doing, why you're doing it, what it's for. And you look past the purpose and you look to the person, the one you are serving is the magnificent, beautiful, glorious God. And He is worthy of it. Look to Him and serve. You know the purpose of life, the good life, I mean the life full of abundance and joy, the life that everybody in all the world throughout all of history has been seeking after is a life of joyful service to God for the good of others. That's why we exist. That's why we're here. To joyfully serve God for the good of others. In a message like this, you you might expect that the application... The main, maybe the only application will be, well, serve, right? And it is true that that is what we should do, and we have been created for such, to joyfully serve God for the good of others. But that's not the first application that I want to give you. That's not even the main and foremost response I think you should have. The first is to believe. It's to believe. You, you must have faith. You must trust. And I, and I don't merely mean that you need to believe the gospel and trust in Jesus to, to be the one who was born sinlessly, lived a life of perfect obedience to God, and died on the cross as a substitute for sinners like us to bear God's wrath and bring us forgiveness so that when He raised from the dead and ascended on high, one day He will return again to give us eternal life in all of its fullness. Though, if you're not trusting God for that, that is your application. That is your only response today. Repent and believe. Turn away from turning away from Him 
and turn to Him and embrace Him with faith in all that Jesus is and all that He's done and all that He has promised. But more to my point, for those who are trusting in Jesus, we're trusting in His service of us, we need to, we need to believe. That is, we need to serve by faith. If you are to joyfully serve God for the good of others, you must believe. You must believe that He's worthy to be served, or else you won't do it. Not right, not rightly, not for long. You must believe that His Word tells us everything we need to know in order to serve Him. You must believe that He has enabled and will continue to enable you to serve Him and He will make your service effective for the good of others and the glory of His name. And you must believe that your service of Him is good for others and that your service of others is glorifying to Him. You must serve in faith. And so yes, if we're to serve in faith, we must actually serve. Believe is your first and foremost response, but that requires the second one of serving. Use your gifts. Don't let them sit there wasted. Figure out your skills, your abilities, your gifts, your desires, your burdens, and then serve. Grow in your skills and your knowledge, your abilities, your giftings, and then serve. And if you're not sure where you're gifted, you're not sure where your abilities are, how they can actually be good for others, ask the Lord to show you. He doesn't want to hide it from you. He's given you gifts. Ask Him. And then ask Him to grow them in you. When was the last time you asked God, God, would you increase my abilities so I can bless others for the glory of your name? God, would you give me greater wisdom, greater knowledge, greater skill that I can serve? When was the last time you asked God, Increase my income solely that I may bless others with it. Ask Him to increase your ability to serve. And then serve. And ask your pastors. Ask your deacons. Ask your lead servants. Ask your piney family leaders how you can serve. Ask your, your, your fellow covenant members how you can serve them. And then serve. Listen for opportunities for service. And serve. Look for needs that need to be met and serve. Seek areas of service where, where it's lacking and serve. Serve the Lord joyfully as He has commanded in His Word. Serve the Lord with faith in the strength that He supplies for the good of others and the glory of His name. We are servants. As Christians, we serve. But if you stop to think about it really, it's rather quite amazing that we get to serve God. In part, yes, because we can't serve Him unless He enables us to serve Him. It's a gifted response that we give to Him. It's also amazing because we are so limited and weak and fragile. And He is the almighty, self-sufficient, sovereign one. That's not really what I mean, though. It's most amazing that we get to serve God because we are sinners. And He is holy. Last week, Pastor Nathan talked about how we as Christians are all ordained. We are priests of God. We have been anointed to serve. 
We have hands full to give something to God because He gave it to us. And yet our hands are so often unclean. How in the world could He accept anything from our hands? How can we serve Him in a way that actually He's glorified by it? Remember, you must serve by faith. God will accept your service. Yes, He will accept your weak and limited, often ill motive or mixed motive, impure, imperfect service. Only through faith in Jesus Christ. As Christians, we know we are only accepted to, acceptable to God because of Jesus. It's the same way with our acts of service. Our service to God is acceptable to Him, pleasing to Him, effective and glorifying to Him only as it is sprinkled by the blood of Jesus Christ. We must have faith in Him as we serve. Serve by faith in Jesus. And as we come to the communion meal, we're reminded that this meal tells us that we still need Jesus. In fact, do not come up here this morning if you don't think you need Him, because it's not for you. This reminds us we need Jesus. And it reminds us that God still accepts us and our service only through Jesus. Because of His grace, through a faith in Him. So this morning, if you don't have faith in Him, if you're not trusting in Him, if you don't believe that you are accepted and your service is accepted by God only because of Jesus, then this communion meal is not for you, not yet. When others come up to partake of communion, if that's you, stay where you're at. Bow your head and beg God to give you understanding and clarity of mind of your absolute dependence upon God, your need for Him, your desperate need for Him, and His absolute sufficiency in Jesus Christ. And then come and talk to me afterwards, another pastor or a Christian around you. Put it on a connection card or email us and say, I, I want to talk more about what it means to believe in Jesus and to follow Him. It would be our joy to talk with you more about this. But this morning, if you are trusting in Jesus and you've had your faith in Jesus affirmed because you have been baptized in a local church, then in just a moment, you could exit to your left and come up to one of these four tables. The gluten-free is all the way to your far left. And you can grab your communion elements and go back to the right and go sit down and take it by yourself or with your family or with your friends. And take it with faith that in all your service of God, it first comes because He has served you. And it only comes as He still serves you by His grace, through His Spirit, in His Son, Jesus Christ. And praise Him. Praise Him. And then ask Him to help you to serve Him joyfully for the good of others and the glory of His name. Would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, thank you for being a perfect Savior, a perfect servant, servant of your Father and a servant of your sinful people. Thank you for that work, that grace. Would you lead us to trust you, to believe, and to serve by faith, all for the glory of your name. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen.